for me, what I do is my strategy is sit down and actually come up with like five different titles or even 10 different titles. And then really try to figure out like which one is the best one, which one shares what to expect in the thread, but also tries to, you know, make it a little bit more jazzy or sexy or whatever you will. So it's not just, you know, a boring title, which could potentially lose out clicks and views and and engagement from my audience. Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talked to Fiona Smith, aka the Millennial Money Woman. Fiona hated her corporate job and she knew she had to get out of there. Fiona saved money, so she had a bit of runway and did a lot of research on what to do next. She quit her job with a full bank account and knew exactly what to do. Fast forward 12 months and she now runs a successful blog and Twitter account. In this episode, you'll learn why it's so important to get your mindset right and how changing your Twitter profile can make a night and day difference in growth. My name is Unique, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. By the way, if you're on iTunes, click subscribe, and if you're on Spotify, click follow, so you'll see when more episodes go live. Thanks a lot. All right, Fiona, we know you from Millennium Money Women on Twitter. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me, first of all. I guess I'll share a little bit of my life journey. Honestly, everything started for me back when I was about 10 years old. And it was my grandparents who had a pretty big impact on my life. And they're the reason why I'm in finance too. So my grandparents, they started a very small family business. And you know they worked every single day extremely hard on this business. And unfortunately, when they were like 70, in their early 70s, They had some poor financial planning. And because of that poor financial planning, they lost everything and more in this business that, you know, they worked for their entire lives just before retirement. I mean, to be fair, I was, you know, 10, so I didn't exactly know the extent to that. But I think that just kind of left such a big impression on my life. It was pretty lasting, actually. And that was the reason why down the road, I actually decided to study finance because I wanted to know what I would have to do for myself and for others too, to help them avoid, you know, kind of going through the same thing that my grandparents did. And that was really the genesis. And that's why I'm so interested in finance and helping others. Cool. And so you studied finance. Where did you study? And, and when did you, you know, roll into like actual job hunting? What did you do? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. At first, I actually studied uh, marketing as an undergraduate degree, but I actually did receive my master's degree then in personal financial planning. I was really interested in, again, like everything that has to do with personal finance. So when it comes to investing, I'm good at that, but I am actually more interested in how to, you know, make sure all the pieces connect. So not just money itself, like the investing portion, but how can you make sure that, you know, your estate plan is protected? So we're talking, you know, do you have a will in place? Do you need a trust for your kids? How can you make sure that, you know, your money goes to the people that you want it to go to? So really making sure that every little piece of your financial life is actually connected. And that was you know, I truly found a passion in that, you know, personal financial planning. And that was then actually the start to this blog down the road. But I actually did have a job, a nine to five in the beginning in corporate America. It was in investment banking. 
But I definitely found that it was not the right fit for me, which is then why I decided to quit and and actually started my blog and and I'm running this business, which I absolutely love. (laughs) And why was it a good fit for you? It's a very cutthroat world. It is pretty intense. I'm not going to lie. It's, you know, I mean, number one, there's not really much flexibility either in the job. And I think, you know, having a work-life balance is definitely important, at least it is for me. And I've seen some of my older colleagues who have been working in investment banking for a couple of decades. I saw their lifestyle and the fact that they barely spent time with their families. And for me, family is very important, you know, and it's just a route I didn't want to go down. And I noticed that although they did make a very, very nice living, it seemed like they couldn't even enjoy the money that they were making because they were always working. And I was thinking like, what's really the point if you have so much money, but you actually don't get to enjoy it with the people you love. And that kind of made me, you know, change my view and kind of change my trajectory in life as well. And so did you have a little bit of money saved up when you started the blog or did you just quit cold turkey and just, you know, find a way to make money? (laughs) <laughs> I like that question. So no, I did not quit cold turkey. I'm, I'm not that risky. I did actually have an emergency savings fund. And I'm really glad you brought this question to the light, actually. I think it's very important to have an emergency savings fund. And for me, I, I definitely bulked it up a lot. So typically speaking, it's recommended to have between three to six months of your monthly living expenses saved up in you know something readily accessible like a cash account. But I actually had quite a bit more. I had about like 12 months uh, worth saved up and I didn't really live, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't live an expensive lifestyle either. So it lasted me for a very long time. But I also did a lot of, you know, industry research when it comes to blogging. So I did a lot of the upfront work before I actually quit. So I knew what I was getting into. I had already built up, you know, a blog, at least platform. And I knew how I was going to tackle my blogging strategy before I quit. So I already had a couple of things lined up and in place before I actually quit. Cool. And how did you come up with the strategy on, you know, how to get started with your blog? Yeah. So I think I did, I did quite a bit of research lots of YouTube videos, a couple of courses too. I mean, you know, I see it so often people are like, I don't want to spend, you know, $50 for a course or 200 bucks or whatever it is. But you know, they're super happy to spend a couple hundred dollars on, I don't know, clothing or, you know, something like that. So for me, it was, I was basically investing in myself. That's how I saw that. So I definitely took a couple of courses, watched YouTube videos. There is so much on YouTube today for free. It's it's crazy. It's like a, you know, college or university for free right there. Can you give a, a few examples of what videos you watched on YouTube? Definitely. So there are a couple of bloggers on YouTube. So one of them is called, I think, The Income School. And they kind of go through, you know, how they start their blog, what they do to monetize, how they use Google, and it's all for free on YouTube. And so I I went through their program. There are a couple of other videos too, like how to write, you know, a blog post within an hour and kind of like the ADA formula, right? The attention, interest, that type of stuff. 
And then I also actually contacted a couple of bloggers to see, you know, what's their daily lifestyle like? What do they like about the job? What do they not like about the job? What would they have changed in their, you know, career paths if they could? So I actually had some, you know, one-on-one conversations with bloggers who are relatively successful in their field. So I could have a better, you know, idea of, is this actually the right next step for me? Or am I completely off base? And should I just continue with my corporate job? Yeah. And how did you reach out to them? So I read a lot of their blogs, you know, obviously familiarized myself with their story and their situation. And then I contacted them via email. So I'll be very honest. I probably contacted like, you know, 30, 50 bloggers and I probably got like two or three responses, but that's how it is. (laughs) At least I got a few responses and the ones that did respond were extremely helpful and, you know, just super nice. And I consider them mentors of mine, but it definitely goes to show that if you do want to pursue something, be it sponsorship, contacts, whatnot, it's going to take a lot of no's for you to get one yes. And that was a very valuable lesson I learned. Cool. And so you did your research on, you know, what to do with your blog. You still, I think you picked like a pretty competitive market. There were already a pretty consistent number of blogs, pretty high quality blog as well on on that topic why did you still choose to pursue that topic and you know walk us through a little bit how yeah how it all started yeah i mean i think it all comes down at least in my opinion it comes down to passion and purpose and for me my purpose was helping people avoid kind of those you know financial planning mistakes that my grandparents did And my passion was finance and helping people. And I actually started or co-founded a nonprofit community charity, nothing big, but I started a, a nonprofit a while back before I actually started my blog. And this nonprofit, it focused on helping underprivileged young girls in my local community, just understanding a little bit more about personal finance. And, you know, these were young girls who you know, their parents couldn't purchase an alarm clock to get them to school. So a very different, you know, background that I think a lot of us maybe aren't used to. And the first time I talked to them and worked with them, I asked them, hey, do you think that you can become a millionaire? And these girls are like, you know, 10, 15 years old. And no one said yes. No one was confident. And after walking them through a couple of basic, just very basic investment strategies, I asked them again, do you think you can become a millionaire? And every single girl said yes. And I still get goosebumps. It was amazing. And that was kind of like what showed me my passion, honestly, because I'm like, okay, if I can help change these girls' perspective, and again, like this was not a very large number of people, but I realized like if I can make a difference here... I really hope I can make a difference with a larger outreach through, you know, a website or my blog in this case. And I think, you know, it, like you said, it's very competitive. Absolutely. It's not the easiest industry to be well known, at least not in the beginning. But I think if you are passionate and if you do have a purpose, then it will get you through the tough times and you'll see the end picture, you know, whatever that is for you, if it's money, if it's fame, if it's helping people, whatever it is. And I think that having passion and purpose, that's what's getting me through the tough times to ultimately help people. Cool. And I I guess 
those girls were probably programmed by their parents, not on purpose, but, you know, parents probably said every day, you know, no, we can't afford this. No, we can't do this because we don't have any money. And probably because of those remarks, the girls also thought, hey, I'm not going to make it, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, we're going to stay poor all our lives. And when you came in, you probably, you know, showed them pretty basic stuff, but that opened their eyes to possibilities, you know, outside their normal way of thinking. That's exactly right. And I think you bring up a very good point, which is that mindset plays such a big role when it comes to, you know, finance and wealth, and especially, you know, being raised in maybe a more limited mindset, right? Scarcity mindset, just like you said, it can definitely make a difference on your future outlook and your perspective on wealth, basically, in general. And yes, I think you make such a good point in saying that when you're young, right, it's important to be exposed to different types of mindset. And in this case, right, teaching that abundance mindset or the growth mindset, showing these young girls that you can absolutely achieve millionaire status or whatever it is that they want to accomplish financially speaking. It just takes saving literally like $10 a day and investing that money. It does not take a lot of money to make their goals a true reality. Yeah, that's so cool. And so you sort of validated your uh, your product, your offering. How did you start to write your first uh, couple of blog posts? I did do a lot of research, like I said, but in the end, I was like, you know what, I just have to do it instead of just reading and, you know, watching YouTube videos. So I was a little nervous at first. I mean, granted, probably no one read my first blog post when it was published because I wasn't really well known. But, you know, I think in the end, it comes down to just learning by doing. And that's ultimately, I think, what I learned, too. You know, you can you can learn so much theoretically. You can take courses. You can talk to people. But in the end, it really just comes down to doing it yourself. And um, that's what I ultimately did. So I just picked a topic that I was comfortable about. And I just kind of, you know, tried writing my very first blog post ever. But full disclosure, I looked back, I think, like a month ago to my very first blog post and boy, I mean, my writing style and, you know, my graphics and everything has changed for the better, thankfully, compared to a year ago. <laughs> that's very recognizable. You, you yeah. Back and you say, Holy shit, that's awful. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it means you've grown a lot. Yes, that's right. I would like to say that. Yeah, I, I think I have grown a bit and been more comfortable with, you know, SEO and obviously graphic design and that type of stuff, which I definitely did not know at all when I first did my my very first blog post. Yeah. And so what happened after you hit publish? Well, after I hit publish, I felt a huge sigh of relief. I'm like, yes, I did it. I did my very first blog post. But then I'm like, okay, now I have to redo everything, like start all over again, do the second blog post. And I started to, I didn't really have a rhythm, if you will, like figuring out, you know, how do I kind of start, you know, my daily routine because that was my first blog post. So I think after I hit publish, what I ended up doing was figuring out, you know, what do I actually need to do? to make sure I still enjoy writing blog posts, right? Like how do I kind of spice it up, like the writing and how do I make it more interesting? And I also try to put myself in the shoes of my audience, so my readers. And my first blog post, I think had like two images in it. And I looked through it, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I don't think anyone would read this. I wouldn't want to read it. And so from there, you know, I started trying to incorporate images and graphics and trying to make it a lot more colorful and like 
break up the text into like bullet points, right? Make it a little bit more visually aesthetic. And Twitter actually helped me so much with that, you know, changing a block format writing type into a, you know, bullet point format writing type and being a lot more concise. So I have Twitter 100% to thank for that. Nice. When did you actually start your blog? I started my blog in May of 2020. So it's been just over a year. Wow. And how many articles have you published since? I want to say it's definitely over 100. So I want to say it's probably like 110 right now. Yeah, something around that. Cool. And so you published the first couple of articles, but when did you see the first people trickle in? Oh my gosh, I remember this day. I think it was, I want to say it was probably June of 2020. And I saw the statistics and I had five people come to my website and I was over the moon. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I was so happy. And, you know, now obviously it's definitely changed. We're talking thousands, right, to my website at this point. But, and I look back you know, the first couple of days. And I was so happy when I had five people visiting my website. And like, I never want to lose that, you know, excitement and passion. And I always want to be reminded of that, but it felt amazing. <laughs> cool. Where did they come from? What sources? I think, well, in the beginning, I started actually using Twitter as my primary social media platform. And I think they all came from Twitter. Now it's still obviously from Twitter, but a lot more from Google and other resources as well, thankfully, at least. <laughs> yeah, good. So, okay, 110 blog posts up right now. What were like your most successful blog posts? What got you the most traffic or the most revenue or the most, I don't know, requests for interviews or? Definitely. That's a good question. Um, so it's actually a variety of blog posts, but I'd say my number one uh, most successful blog post is probably about the mindset difference between the wealthy and or the rich, I guess, and the poor. And you, you know, remember brought up a question earlier with, you know, the young girls and their mindset versus being taught, you know, that growth mindset. So yeah, I think that was probably the most successful blog post out there right now, at least for me. But there are a couple of others too that go into more technical information. So one of them is alternative investment strategies. So that one kind of just explores different ways to invest money, to diversify portfolios if you know you are already investing in the stock market, for example. And another popular blog post also talks about net worth statements. That's actually my, I think it's my number one ranked blog post right now on Google that gets the most traffic, which is surprising. But, you know, it's, I think the reason why that blog post is doing well is because it's broken down into just, you know, easy steps and has a lot of visual graphics. Like I think the majority of this blog post is just pictures and not really, not so much writing or, you know, complex jargon. Cool. And so about the same time you started your blog, you also started your Twitter account. Why is that? Exactly. So Twitter. I was actually never familiar with Twitter until May of 2020 when I first started my account. I've obviously heard of Twitter, but I've never actually used it for myself before. And I did a, a quite a bit of research actually, you know, seeing which platform was the best for a blog. And um, it actually turned out to be Pinterest, at least for personal finance bloggers. I realized that most bloggers used Pinterest. And um, I actually started a Pinterest account too, but it just never really worked for me. I never really 
it just never, yeah, it never worked for me at least. And Twitter I saw was something that at least to me seemed like a professional community. It seemed like, especially the money Twitter side, right. That both of us are on. It seemed like it's a very, I don't know, you know, it's a different community, engaging, great people. And I really like that side. And that's kind of where I decided to focus my efforts on and grow my social media following. Interesting. And so when you started back in May 2020, did you have the same like branding as you do right now on Twitter? No, not at all. (laughs) I was, uh, oh gosh, I was very new, very green when it came to social media. I, I don't even know how I managed to, you know, transition into the branding that I have today. But yeah, no, back then I didn't even know how to like compose a tweet, right? So my tweets, I think were like block format, basically, <laughs> like a paragraph. Oh my gosh, it was, yeah, it was. Cool. And so when did you change that? Because right now, you know, you have a really, yeah, what's the correct English term for that? You know, it's just, it's eye-catching. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll be honest here. It took a lot of trial and error it was not easy. And the point where I figured out, you know, it was time to kind of change into a little bit more professional, right, branding or try to put in a little bit more time for Twitter was when I realized I was losing followers. I think it was losing like 10 followers a day or something. It was just going downhill for me. And I was like, all right, something's not working. Something I'm doing is not right. And so I really tried to, you know, take a couple of days, I think I took like a weekend, and basically, you know, pulled apart my entire Twitter strategy. I'm like, is this something I want to continue pursuing? Or do I want to use Pinterest? I'm like, no, I'm definitely not using Pinterest. I'm going to stick with Twitter. So I that was the day I dedicated myself to this social media platform. And I decided to like figure out, okay, what is working for others for the larger accounts, for example, that I'm not implementing right now in my Twitter growth strategy. Let's first talk about, okay, what did you do that made you lose followers and which accounts or what did you analyze? What did you change for you to gain? Definitely. So I think, what did I do that had me lose followers a lot? I think I had my bio, I want to say was very, it wasn't, so, you know, in the Twitter header, you have your bio and I think my bio was not clear. It didn't, you know, actually share what I was doing. It was very vague. I don't remember what exactly it was, but it was not good. I didn't put a lot of time in that. I think my header picture, so the background picture for Twitter was not eye-catching. I honestly didn't put a lot of effort in that. It was something, you know, I think general, so a general picture, that wasn't good. I didn't have any popping colors for my profile picture like I do now. So if we're talking about aesthetics, I did a very poor job because I didn't put in the work or the time. And then when it comes to Twitter posts, like actual tweets, all I did actually back then was post blog posts. And on Twitter, I'm realizing that if you promote just a blog post, chances are it's probably not good for growth. And at least my followers don't exactly like just blog posts. They like actionable advice, like threads or, you know, a step-by-step guy or something like that. So I think what I was posting and my aesthetics just were not working for my audience. And that's why I was losing so many followers every single day. Cool. And so you changed quite a bit. You changed, you know, your profile pic, your uh, header, your bio. You also changed the way you tweet. What are you doing differently now? 
Yeah. So I changed, like you said, I changed my bio. I changed my header where it took a while, actually. I mean, I want to say it probably took me like a month, a full month to figure out the color scheme, the format, what I would include. I mean, there's like a lot of thought that goes into this. And I I think most people that start Twitter don't realize that if you truly want to make this a growth account, you have to commit the time and the effort and energy. And I don't think I was prepared to do that in the beginning, but thankfully I learned my lesson early on. And same thing for my profile picture. So I figured, you know, if my profile picture shows up with every single comment, reply, whatever it is that I send out there into the Twitter verse, if you will, I want to make sure it pops out, right? Like it's not like every other profile picture. So I decided to use, you know, pretty eye-catching colors that, you know, show up and people don't even have to look at the actual image, but they know the colors. Oh, that's Fiona. That's Millennial Money Woman. So something that is like a brand, basically. So I figured out that branding is really important when it comes to Twitter, when we're talking about aesthetics and pictures. So, and did you immediately see like a change to uh, how many profile visits you got, your like your conversion rate from profile visits to followers? I did. I don't know the exact number, to be honest, but I actually did. In terms of profile clicks, I definitely increased that. Again, I don't know the exact number, but before I got virtually no profile clicks whatsoever, my profile picture was not very, it it was just boring. But with the updated colors and, you know, the backgrounder and whatnot, it just, I think, I want to say probably increased by like four digits, like over a thousand percent or more. I mean, just like, you know, from one day to the next, it was insane. What a huge difference it made. So yeah, definitely the profile picture and, you know, again, the aesthetics, it will make a huge difference as well as content. I mean, like I said before, I was posting a lot about, you know, blog posts, actually just like regurgitating blog posts on Twitter, but I decided to kind of change that up. So in addition to posting one blog post a day, I'm also trying to provide more value to my audience that maybe doesn't want to actually click and exit Twitter, which they would have to do with my blog posts. So for me now, I'm trying to incorporate a lot of threads. I'm sure a lot of folks know me for, you know, posting, you know, threads about be it book summaries, be it how to get out of debt or whatever the case may be. But I think at least for my audience, threads work really, really well. And I think they like the value that threads add to their timeline. So value, as long as you add value, like true actionable value to your audience, I've learned at least that has just absolutely skyrocketed my Twitter growth. And so walk us through a couple of threads that did really well. Sure. So I guess a couple of threads that did well are mindset threads. So again, for my audience, it seems like mindset does a really good job promoting growth and kind of getting their engagement. So I did a thread actually based off of my blog post, to be very honest, I had the blog post first, the poor versus rich mindset. And I decided, hey, why not like reinvent the wheel? Why not use something that I already have and just convert it to a thread? So I actually did that. And um, the thread turned out to be super successful as well. So that kind of also taught me, you know, if you already have some type of content, you don't need to like reinvent the wheel. You can just use it and just reformat it. So that's what I did there. And it worked very well on Twitter. And a couple of other threads that did well are just like book reviews, so to say. My audience seems to really enjoy having, you know, a full book like, I don't know, Richest Men in Babylon or Atomic Habits, for example. 
these are books that my audience at least really enjoys. And I'm able to like break down the 10 most, you know, poignant topics per se or lessons into a thread and kind of give like a quick summary, a quick read to them. And I know that they really appreciate that. Nice. And so what's your like your workflow to convert a blog post into a thread? Yeah. So for me, it's typically I wait actually a couple of months to see, you know, how a blog post is received. If it's successful, at least on my blog, if it gets a lot of views or comments or engagements, I know it's a winner. If it doesn't necessarily get a lot of views, then I don't even try to convert it to a thread because it does take time, right? Thread writing is, it definitely takes, for me at least, it takes a one, two, three hours, depending on, you know, the extent of the thread. But I think if I see that a you know blog post is doing well, like that rich versus poor mindset one, for example, I know that will likely be a winner with my Twitter audience too. And the main reason is because my Twitter audience also goes to my blog. They are very engaged with my blog. And I know that obviously, you know, if I'm getting a lot of traffic to a specific source, yes, it's also Google. Yes, it's other sources. But I also can't forget that probably a portion of that traffic is because of Twitter as well. So it's a very good way to kind of like measure or look at the analytics, interpret the data, and then try to, you know, cater again to my audience to make sure that they get what they want. And I guess like maybe not 90%, but like a big, big part of creating a successful thread is the hook, is the first tweet. How do you experiment with that? What what are your learnings on, on that? Oh, yes. The first tweet is definitely the make it or break it tweet. So yeah, it's, I think for, so I'm trying to like figure out different types of titles for my threads and I'm never really that good uh, when it comes to titles. So for me, at least it takes time to figure out, you know, a title that, that might be, like you said, a hook or eye catching something that like pulls readers in. And I mean, at the same time, like you don't want it to be misleading either. You don't want to, you know, make something so grandiose and it overpromises, you know, the value that you're delivering in a thread to a point where it's clickbait, right? And then your audience clicks on it and then, you know, they're upset at you and they potentially unfollow you or, you know, share their disappointment in this clickbait. So it's very, yeah, it's it's a very, it's, I'd say it's more of an art than a science when it comes to creating titles or creating that first tweet, like you said. For me, what I do is my strategy is sit down and actually come up with like five different titles or even 10 different titles and then really try to figure out like which one is the best one, which one shares what to expect in the thread, but also tries to, you know, make it a little bit more jazzy or sexy or whatever you will. So it's not just, you know, a boring title, which could potentially lose out clicks and views and and engagement from my audience. It's a very fine line, but I think the more practice you get, the better you'll be. And that's where it just comes back down to learning by doing. Yeah, that's so important. I think it's a definitely a good tactic to create different versions, at least, you know, five versions, check them out yourself. I don't share them with others. If I create threads, I also usually create a couple of different versions. I should probably share them with a couple of people to ask them, you know, what, what would you click on? What's your favorite one? Yeah, that's definitely something I probably need to get better at as well. I do look like I think I asked maybe a few followers of mine that I trust, right, that I'm pretty close with and see like, hey, what would you be more enticed to click on? But I don't do it enough. So I'll, yeah, definitely honest there. It's something to get feedback from the audience just in general, not just with like 
tweet titles or whatnot. Like it's so valuable. And I've done that a couple of times, probably not enough with when it comes to blog posts in particular, you know, like what they think, how they would, you know, suggest to change might be a blog post format, et cetera. I find that, you know, the more feedback you get from your actual readers and, and your followers, the better you can kind of cater your content toward them and just improve it, which would ultimately improve your numbers too. Yeah, exactly. And so you started a little over a year ago. And right now, I think you have over like 55,000 followers. Walk us through how that happened, because you've grown your account incredibly quickly. Yeah, thank you. It's been an up and down journey, to be honest. And the beginning, I was just so excited to have 100 followers. I was so, so excited when I broke that 100 follower marker. But then I you know, then I started losing followers at some point, I think I was like at 4000. And I started losing every single day for like a month. And that's when I figured out like, okay, do I want to continue with Twitter? Or do I just want Twitter to be, you know, something for fun? And I just, you know, keep the account, but focus my efforts elsewhere. And I think it came down to that decision. I had to make a committed decision and figure out what did I want to get out of Twitter? Did I want to actually focus on Twitter growth? And did I want to focus on increasing my popularity on Twitter or did I just want to keep Twitter as a profile, as an account, but, you know, truly commit my time elsewhere? So I think in order to grow your account, you really have to ask yourself, do you want to commit to this platform? If the answer is yes, if you do want to commit to this platform, then you need to pour in your effort, your time and potentially money. And that's what I did. So from that point on, I actually got a a Twitter growth guide. And this Twitter growth guide, honestly, for me, at least it helped me so much. It helped literally lay out the format, the anatomy of a tweet, if you will, how to tweet, what to tweet about the aesthetics of a tweet, all the things that I didn't know about before this Twitter guide laid it out for me. And I think, you know, some people might be a little hesitant about buying Twitter guides. But if your goal is to grow, then personally speaking, at least it helped me so much. And honestly, I attribute my growth for following those steps and like implementing the steps within this guide. And I mean, there's, you know, trial and error, obviously, there's not everything works out depending on your audience. And for my audience, threads do really well. But I think that's just part of the game, right? Like trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work and never stopping and just keep going because there will be days where you don't get a lot of followers, but there will be days where you'll get a lot of followers. And, you know, long term speaking, that consistency will add up. And I think that's why I've been able to grow so much just because I've been consistent every single day. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. And so what growth guide did you buy? Yeah, so I bought the Create 24-7 Growth Guide. It's I think it's written by The Art of Purpose on Twitter, and it's helped me tremendously. Yeah, I bet. I also bought it. It's really good. And I guess one of the secrets, well, secrets, one of the things that really works is also, you know, reaching out to people, you know, forming, I guess, not, not literal engagement groups, but forming, you know, groups of like-minded people. How do you move into DMs? How do you connect with people? How do you do that? That's a great point. I think DMs, direct messages, are such a key portion, key characteristic to growth. Because, you know, I mean, DMs, I think, is it's just a little bit more personal, probably, right? Like, if you connect with someone, whoever it is, via DMs, instead of just a regular public comment, 
I think it's, you know, it's definitely something special about it because you're reaching out to that person directly. It's a private message and you're trying to get to know them. You're trying to, you know, figure out maybe how you can help them, how they can help you and how both of you can grow together. And ultimately, like, that's what I figured out in Twitter. Like, it's not really so much a competition. It's more so of helping others because in the end, a rising tide really does lift all the boats. And I think, you know, like you said, like being involved in engagement groups or, you know, reaching out to people separately via direct messages and just seeing what people can do, like what you can do to help others grow. If there's anything, like if you have a specialty and you can help another person, they'll be really thankful. And at some point, maybe they can repay the favor too. So yeah, there's so many opportunities for growth, but probably the best strategy is reaching out in direct messages and just getting to know other accounts. Definitely. So what I'm also wondering is because you don't see a lot of women in money Twitter. Do you think, you know, that has an edge or, you know, maybe putting it another way around? What would you say to, you know, other women who are maybe just lurking and and saying, hey, I I can also do something in this area, in this niche? How would you, you know, convince them to go for it? Oh, that's a really good question. I think for, and yeah, I think now that you bring it up, there are not that many women in money Twitter or, or really in blogging either, like when it comes to personal finance. I would honestly just say, if you're passionate about it, and if you really love helping people, then that's all you got to worry about, in my opinion, because work will always be there. Work will be very tough on days. And if you don't love what you do, then chances are you'll be much higher chance to quit your work when it's tough. But if you truly enjoy what you do, and you know that you're doing it because you can help people you know, improve their financial lives, that can drive you through those rough times. So I don't know if, you know, maybe, I mean, finance isn't exactly easy. It's definitely like a second language. I remember it when I first started, but it doesn't have to be difficult either. And that's the beauty of it, right? Like finance can be easy and it can be as easy as you want to make it. And so I think, you know, if a woman out there enjoys finance or is trying to figure out finance and then create potentially a financial blog, you know, for others, I would honestly say go for it, right? I mean, we don't learn by not doing anything. We learn by doing. Experience is the greatest educator out there. So I would just say go for it and figure it out as you go and, you know, try to make a positive impact on other people's lives. I actually, I, it's like a, I'm connected to like a college here in the Netherlands and I, by a couple of students, interns. I currently have a group of like five people. And one of them, he needed to do his assessment today. So his presentation about his internship and whatnot. And he said, I'm not going to do it because I'm, I don't feel comfortable about it. I don't feel confident enough to do it. And I'm like, yeah, we can, we can talk about that. Like you don't feel comfortable and confident about it, but you should just do it. And then afterwards, we should talk about how it went instead of not doing it and talking about, you know, how to get it done. It's just really, yeah, it's an interesting way of tackling things. And I think it's really important that you just go out there, start tweeting, start DMing, start, you know, writing your blogs and just start. Exactly. Exactly. I hope he does well. My fingers are crossed for him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think he'll do it, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Cool. So I guess, Final question for you is, what do people need to do or what type of tweets do you like to retweet? Definitely. 
I think uh, for me, at least, I love tweets that just provide value. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in finance. It could be, you know, in fitness or health or food or whatever it is. As long as they just provide, I think, value, they're, you know, written well, they're engaging. I'm happy, you know, to engage with those types of tweets. And again, it doesn't necessarily matter what industry you're in, particularly. It just matters what you provide to the rest of your audience. And I think a lot of people think that they can get away with writing, you know, like maybe tweets that don't add as much value. But I think audience and the readers in particular, they can tell, right? Like they can tell if a tweet actually provides value or not. And I'm just looking for those tweets that can help improve someone's life, be it in whichever industry. And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter which industry, as long as it does help add value. Fiona Smith, where can people find you? Yeah, so on Twitter, obviously, my handle is at the underscore MMW. And of course, my website as well, which is the millennialmoneywoman.com. And then if there is any Pinterest user out there, I still have my Pinterest account, which is the Millennial Money Woman. <laughs> cool. Canada traffic via Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. cool. Fiona, thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. Same here. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter, sharing your favorite part of this episode. See you again next week.